This episode is brought to you by Morty, Rizova, Recon, and Patreon supporters like you. Supporting our sponsors supports our work. This year, we're hosting Recon, the Reality Escape Convention, virtually, so that we can bring our entire global community together. Our team has decided to alternate one year in person, one year virtual, and this year, we are doing it online. We had such a fantastic time at the first in-person Recon. And we wanted to make sure that our friends from around the world who maybe couldn't manage to come in person are still able to enjoy Recon with all of the variety of speakers and guests that we have. And that's exactly what we're doing. Recon has a variety of ticket types to meet your needs. And the basic ticket is free. No tricks. We want our global community at Recon, and we hope to see each and every one of you there August 19th and 20th, 2023. You can learn more at realityescapecon.com. Details in the show notes. Tickets are on sale now. Welcome to the Reality Escape Pod, your lifeline when you need a getaway from the real world. I'm David Spira, alongside my co-host, PG Law. Together, we're exploring immersive gaming from all angles, and we'll be joined by guests who really know their stuff. Today's guest is from the Netherlands. We're joined by Gijs Geers, CEO and head of design for one of my absolute favorite escape room companies in the world, Dark Park. Welcome, Gijs. Thank you, David. So great to be on the show, and what an introduction. How Amazing it is to hear someone like you all the way from America hear that my company is one of your favorite escape room companies in the world. That's a great start. I have long described myself as an unapologetic Dark Park fanboy. <laughs> he really is. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the games that you have made. Well, thank you so much. That's a huge honor. And please don't apologize for that. <laughs> he insisted that I go to Dark Park when I visited. And you did. I did. And he was like, you have to play everything there. And he told me that you were one of his favorite companies. And after having played, I completely agree. Just the consistency of the quality of your games was really incredible. And consistency across branding and theme, puzzles, set design, the whole bag. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we try to do our best. <laughs> it's great to hear that it's appreciated. We held off on having you on the show because I wanted PG to go to the Netherlands before we started bringing on Dutch guests. Ah, okay. So here we are. We're here. <laughs> so let's dive in. Speaking of your beautifully consistent branding, let's start with the name Dark Park. It is a very different name for an escape room business. Where did this name come from? So that's quite a long story. We were one of the first escape rooms in the Netherlands 10 years ago. This year's our 10-year anniversary. Can you believe that? I can. That's crazy. I still can. Yeah. And we started as Escape Challenge because back at the time that seemed like a good idea. We didn't want to name it Escape Room, but Escape Challenge sounded uh, original. <laughs> at the time. <laughs> at the time, exactly. And some years later, we were one of the thousand escape rooms in the Netherlands. We have, as a country, the most escape rooms per square meter. We have a lot because we have a little country. 
our name wasn't that special anymore. And at the time, we have this international conference here in the Netherlands. It's called Up the Game. And that's actually where I met you. It is. Yeah, a long time ago. And there was this talk by Bob Malkus from Fox in the Box. Uh, he explained how important it is to create a name that doesn't have the word escape or room or lock or key or door or any of the obvious words because everyone has a name with those words. So how will people remember you if you're like Escape Room Delft or Escape Room Kansas or whatever? They're all the same. And I have this friend, Ilko, who is also one of the most important creatives here at Dark Park. And whenever I need a new name, so for a new game or a new home adventure or a character in one of our games, I go to him because he makes our music. He makes our artwork, which of course is amazing if you've seen it. And he comes up with a lot of the names in our games. And I said, Ilko, I want a new name for my company. When I ask him this question, he comes with a long list of names, all kinds of different names. And then I get to choose, I get to pick one. And all of the names were good. Some of them were not so good, but there was one name that was different. It had nothing to do with escape rooms, but it had the feeling that I wanted for my company. And it was Dark Park. So I immediately knew when I saw the list, that weird one there, that's going to be it. I think it's a perfect name because it's evocative and it really captures the blend of intensity and adventure and fun that is present in all of your games. That's a nice description. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Because I notice a lot of your escape rooms have this creepy, spooky horror element, at least the ones that I played, and I yeah. played almost all of them. So was that always there and that's where the name came from? If you ask me what's the success of your games, I think it's that it's important what kind of feeling you give people in your room. So it's not just about the music or the puzzles or the story or the scenery. It's about the feeling that people have. It's the same with music, with movies, with films. What's the reason that almost everyone who saw Dirty Dancing or The Notebook or movies like that, that 10 years later you still know the movie? It's because that movie gave you a feeling. And that's what I try to do with my escape rooms. And that's also with the name Dark Park. So we don't have a park and it's most of the time not dark in our escape rooms. But the feeling Dark Park, that's interesting. You want to know more about it. And then you Google it and you find out that we're an escape room company. It's my understanding that your first game, The Dentist, was one of the earliest escape rooms in the Netherlands. When did it open? At the very beginning of 2014. So we started building in 2013. That's why it's our anniversary right now. And it opened in the beginning of 2014. I'm asking because I played it in 2018. And at that point in time, The Dentist felt like it was your earliest game. Of the four games that we played, if you didn't tell me that it was the oldest one, I would have easily guessed that was the earliest game. But it also felt considerably more advanced than the you know, third or fourth game in a whole country from 2014. How much had you iterated on the original concept by the time I had played it in 2018? Or was this basically the game that you had opened with? No, definitely not. All the elements were already there, the music and the puzzles, but we kept working on it for about a year because I had never built an escape room. Mm -hmm. Most of the people didn't even know what an escape room was back then. So we started the game by giving people a huge screwdriver. 
<laughs> what could go wrong? Exactly. Soon enough, we figured out that wasn't the best idea. So we moved that to the end of the game when they actually would need it. And we changed pretty much everything in the game, but with the elements that we had from the start. And maybe at some point we added some music at the end because we had one musical track that was playing all the time, all along. And it was great music, but at the end we needed some more oomph. So we added some music at the end. But basically the game that I played in 2018, it sounds like the game you had at least as far back as 2015. Yeah, there was also one change, but I'm not sure if we changed it before or after you visited us. In the beginning, it was a clean dentist room. So it was all beautiful white. And then at some point, someone kicked a hole in the wall. Don't ask me why. (laughs) And we had to (laughs) fix it, but we couldn't make it as beautiful as it was so we decided to make it all dirty and grungy and um, creepy i think it was dirty and grungy and creepy by the time i played it i will say if i had played that game in 2014 or 2015 it would have blown my damn mind wow so that leads me to kind of my next question is what were you doing before all of this (laughs) Because it doesn't feel like you started at zero. You may have not made an escape room, but it seems like you had a background that was relevant. My gift and also my curse is that I'm good at a lot of stuff, but only a little bit. So I don't (laughs) excel at piano playing. I'm not very good at just one thing. I'm a little bit good at many things. I used to be an actor before this. I went to acting school, musical theater school. And I played in musicals, musical theater in the Netherlands. But I also liked to build the sets for the plays that we created. And uh, when you're only on stage, you cannot also build stuff. And in escape rooms, it all comes together. The storytelling, the music, light design, set design, everything. You can feel all of that in your games. And I had never actually had a chance to talk to you about what you were doing before. But I knew that you had a background in theater. Because I remember when we came to play The End in 2019, you gave us a little bit of a behind the scenes and you showed us that you had the games running on QLab. Yeah. That was around the time where I had come to realize that a lot of my favorite games were run on QLab. The Man from Beyond from Strange Bird Immersive, the Time Run games, Lab Rat at Hatch Escape. All of these games are run on QLab and I had no idea what it was. And I remembered I reached out to Nick and asked him, what is this? And he explained that it was theater software. And I realized that it had nothing to do with the software. It was that the people who knew how to use QLab all came from a theater background of some sort and were producing the kinds of narrative and emotionally charged experiences that I was so drawn to. Wow. One game creator is Chris Latner, who doesn't like QLab. <laughs> Chris Latner always has very strong opinions about yeah. whatever he's doing. <laughs> he does good work. Not every game that I love is run on QLab. There are tons of games that I love, but I was really surprised as I started to learn that this was a common thread. Yeah, wow, that's a great find. I guess you're right. When I started designing the first escape room, The Dentist, I was still playing a show in the theaters and we asked our sound designer, how should we do this? Because I wanted it to all be automated. And he said, well, you could try QLab because that's what we use in theaters. But the thing is, QLab at the time, it was only about music and video, but you couldn't do lighting with it. We had to figure out how to trick QLab into doing light and it worked. And then uh, after a few years, they came with, a, with an update 
now you can do lights with it. But at the time it was, it was difficult. Yeah, (laughs) that's a funny observation, David, that most of the creators that use QLab have come from a theatrical background. And the other thing I noticed now that you mentioned it, a lot of those same creators you just named, you know, Man From Beyond, Lab Rat, those people, their games all definitely create an evocative mood that stays with you. And I think that also makes sense coming from the theatrical background. And so speaking of that, there is definitely a very clear and distinctive voice in Dark Park's work. So what is your creative process when bringing a game to market? Actually, it's never the same. The spark, the first idea, it always comes up in my mind when I take a shower because I have several companies and four children and everyone always wants something from me except when I'm in the shower. So then I put on some music and then the ideas come. And the funny part is that the idea, the entire story of an entire escape game or or something else, it comes in minutes. It all falls into place. And then I write a script and that takes like one or two days and then I have the entire script. And then we start to change everything and we start to ask, why is this? Why is that? Does it make sense? Why do the players need to do this? Why would they want to do this? Why does the main character hide puzzles for them? And the answer is almost always, I don't know. And then we try to figure out. (laughs) And sometimes we allow ourselves to say, because it's an escape room, but most of the times that's not enough. Yeah, that seems very reasonable. (laughs) You mentioned one of the people on your team How big is your team? What is that team composition? The entire team is 40 people. uh, That's including all the game hosts. Okay, that's still a lot of people. Yeah, it is. We have uh, three locations. So we have a lot of game hosts. And then we have two important people who are managing the game hosts. And one of them is also our office manager and our customer support. And she puts together the home adventure games. So the escape room games for in the middle. And the other one is also building and doing repairs and stuff like that. And then the actual creatives, it's pretty much me and Ilko, which I mentioned before. And he's about the music, the story and the characters. And then there's actually always someone else, but it has never been the same person. So when I create a new game, I just need a, a second person to... Um, to, to like bounce ideas off Exactly. Of. Yeah, yeah, that's it. But after each game, that person changes. That's why David brought me onto the podcast because <laughs> <laughs> he, he works with Lisa on almost everything that's Room Escape Artist. Yeah. And for the podcast, they felt like the energy was and these thought processes too similar. Yeah. So far, you're doing an amazing job. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of the podcast. Thank uh, you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> In each game, I feel like you have learned something new. I can feel the learnings in the first game, in the second game, in the second game, in the third game, etc. Uh-huh. How have you approached evolution between your games? Oh, wow. With everything we do, like everything, we always ask the question, how can we do it better next time? Even when we host a game. So we try to give hints to people and We try to listen to what happens in the game, so no game is the same. And then we ask the question, okay, I gave this hint now at this moment, but how could I have done it better for the next time? And we do that the same when we build a game. So the music, this time I asked Ilko, who's also making our music, okay, this is going to be, of course, a dark park game, so it's going to be scary at times, but I don't want you to make scary music. 
because the first draft that he made for me, it was, it was a bit the same as always, what I expected to get from him. And I was like, okay, so what else could it be? He wasn't very happy. I was like, well, <laughs> <laughs> this is what I feel when you describe the scene. And I said, yeah, okay, but now try something else. And then it took him a few days and then he came with something magical. And he was like, oh, wow, this is so much better than the original. It's always about improvement. And that's also tiring sometimes because you're never done. And it's never like sitting in your chair and just designing an escape room. It's always needs to be better and not always bigger and more spectacular, but always better. Do you have any examples of things that you were doing in your early escape rooms that you feel like you've learned from and you were like, oh, you know what? In our new games, we're not going to do that anymore. Yeah, of course. But I also keep breaking my own rules. (laughs) 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 After the dentist and honeymoon hotel, our third game, I said, never again will I use water in our escape rooms. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) Always a leak somewhere or people do weird things with water and everything gets wet and breaks down. And I always manage to put water in new games. So (laughs) uh, (laughs) yes, I learn, but I also break my own rules. And what I really don't like is reading in escape rooms. So I try to take all the reading out. I imagine that that is helpful as you have gained more international notoriety. Removing the reading is probably got to make that easier for you. Yeah. And you always need some reading. But I really hate games that have, in my case, a Dutch and an English version on the same paper. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. I'm in this building and the killer is hunting me. And his diary is in two languages. This is so helpful. (laughs) Why? (laughs) So you just have two props and you swap them out? Yeah. Or I try to get all the reading out of the game. I hate reading. If I want to read, I'll buy a book. So did you go towards audio or did you just try to tell the story without narration at all? So when people, after playing a game, ask us, so what's the story about? Because most escape room owners will tell you the story that they came up with what i want my staff to say is what's your version of the story because we try to create elements that could be a story if you put them together but i don't want it to be my story i want it to be your story and the story in our games consists of three elements one element is the setting the location so for example the dentist the second part is the story of that location so what happened here bad things uh, bad things <laughs> in the most cases <laughs> yeah. uh, and the third part is what's the story of the players when they enter the space and these three elements together they form the entire story and that's different every time yeah so you're kind of building your story out of the setting the history of the location, and then whatever the present is for the players. That's an interesting approach. Yeah, I I don't really care about my version of the story. I care about your version of the story, what you created in your mind. And that's part of what's fun is coming up with your own story, I think is always more interesting than being handed the story. Yeah, I had experiences where I played an escape room and then Afterwards, they ask you all these questions, and when you answer them wrong, they say, no, you have it wrong. Your experience is wrong. I've played that game. (laughs) I feel like I know exactly the company you're thinking about. (laughs) 
We're taking a moment to thank our sponsor, Morty. Morty is a free app for discovering, planning, tracking, and reviewing your escape rooms and other immersive social outings. And Morty is now available for all to use on its brand new web experience, in addition to its fantastic iPhone app. I believe in Morty so much that I have a stake in it as an advisor. Morty has done something that is incredibly difficult to do, and that is capture the overwhelming majority of escape rooms and facilities, not just in the United States, but around the world, and made all of that data available in app. As the world has opened up again, I know that more and more enthusiasts are traveling, planning trips around escape rooms, and Morty is absolutely an indispensable tool for planning your escape room vacations. I also like to think that they added a lot more global coverage in part because of season four of Reality Escape Pod, where we interviewed creators from around the globe. And Morty really added a lot more companies to their database in response to that. I know because I have been piling on wishlist games. My wishlist has now crossed 100 games. I got to get playing. You can learn more at MortyApp.com slash Repod. That's R-E-P-O-D to sign up and get a special badge for our listeners. Link and details are in the show notes. Hearing you describe the approach, it makes a lot of sense because it has been, at this point, quite a few years since I have played your games. But I have very specific memories, and they're almost like remembering movie scenes. In every oh. single game, there's a moment or two that is etched into my brain. Wow. And when I think back to those moments, they feel very alive to me. And I could tell you kind of roughly what the game was about, but I could not tell you the whole story of any of the games, but I can tell you certain scenes and moments and how I felt and what I think was going on in them. Yeah. It's like a dream. It's a gift when someone tells me something like this, because that's my main goal, to make you feel something. And when you feel something, then it sticks. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> Some of my most memorable moments from your games are the jump scares. Yes. Oh, oh. <laughs> ouch. <laughs> Which for some reason, somehow, one way or another, I think I managed to catch every single one out of everyone on our team. It, it was always me for some reason, which I appreciate because now I feel like I can handle anything. Oh, um, <laughs> then you should go to Athens. I'm trying. Yeah, don't. <laughs> but speaking of the jump scares, they are definitely an art and you have some of the best jump scares I've ever experienced in a game. I'll second that. Well, <laughs> this is David's question, actually. I took it over. <laughs> I had a bad day today, but it's becoming better and better. Just keep oh. talking, guys. <laughs> well, keep making good escape rooms. <laughs> uh, well, I will. What is your approach when crafting a jump scare in an immersive environment? I don't have one recipe, but I try to create music. So it's not just some guy in a scary costume with a mask on jumping from the dark and screaming in your face. It's always like... You get distracted, you see something, and you're like, oh, what's that? And then at a different place, something happens, and then your attention is split up. So you are like, 
focusing on that and then you're focusing on the second thing and then the third thing is to scare yeah they're probably some of my favorite jump scares and they don't feel gratuitous there's other games where you're like i know this is where the jump scare is going to happen so Uh, i appreciate your misdirection i also it's funny as you mentioned that i also used to be a magician that makes a lot of sense (laughs) (laughs) i wanted to be an illusionist like david copperfield and he's also an amazing storyteller of course so he creates illusions but it's not about the trick it's about the story and the feeling so i learned that at a young age the end the most recent game of yours that i have had the chance to play is one of my favorite games back when i played it in 2019 you had just finished in time for travelers to the up the game conference to visit none of us had any idea what you built and it was a remarkable production that felt like a huge step up from your previous work which was also very impressive what was the origin story of the end how did this come about first of all you were the very first to play the game Wow, I didn't realize it. It worked very well. What I remember was that it was one of the most stressful hours of my life because everything (laughs) behind the scenes broke down while you were playing. (laughs) You did a wonderful magic trick and (laughs) made it seem like it was all working. We had been building for maybe a year and I wanted it to be finished when you and Lisa visited the Netherlands because I wanted you to play it. And we made it not just for the other game, visitors but especially for you guys thank you i (laughs) truly had no idea yeah it is one of the games that when i look back at all of the games i've played and you were to ask me what was the story what was the theme what was the narrative of this game Mm -hmm. i can't really remember but the story of the end has stayed with me and it's my team and i we talk about it all the time still like analyzing dissecting it so it was a really intriguing storyline you came up with the end is actually one of the names that i came up with myself because that was also when we changed the name escape challenge into dark park so it had a double meaning it was also the end of escape challenge and the beginning of dark park i had all these funny taglines it's not the end it's a new beginning and stuff like that but to come back to your question the funny part is that For a long time, even when we were building the game, we didn't have an ending to the end. (laughs) (laughs) We had this last space. We were building all these elements and I cannot spoil too much. Yeah, No, we're not going to spoil the end of the end because it is insane. I don't really remember eventually how it became this ending, but I had so many versions, including the terrible idea. And I can't believe that I'm telling you this, but of the actor coming after the players with a chainsaw and rushing them out of the game. That was one of the versions of the end. I mean, (laughs) everyone's got to write drafts. Yeah, and I'm so happy we didn't go for that one. Uh, But our location in Zutomir, where we have the orphanage, it used to be the orphanage, and now we renamed it to If Walls Could Whisper, but we're changing it back to the orphanage. Ah. And Honeymoon Hotel, and it used to be a table tennis court, uh, a big hall. And the uh, part where the end is built used to be the dressing rooms. Huh. So we were like, what are we going to do with this space? Because there were so many showers and towels on the walls and toilets and stuff. Oh. (laughs) So we broke down a lot of that and we took down some walls, but we had to use the spaces that were already there. It wasn't a lot of space. 
And then we started building the route and we had this last space, which was also a dressing room. And we were like, it's very small. What can we do here? And then we came up with the idea to create the illusion to make it that it's bigger by using mirrors. And when we had that idea, we came with the ending that it is now. We are building a new game now, Rise of the Phoenix. Again, we don't have an ending yet. And almost it's like coming together and the puzzles and everything and the the set and it's going to be amazing. The best thing I have built yet, I think. You never know for sure until people come and play it. And we still don't have an ending. I hate this part because we are coming to the opening of the game and we still don't have an ending. We have the elements, (laughs) but we don't have the ending. Okay, we'll see how that goes. I believe in you. Rizova is your all-in-one, all-inclusive software for bookings made specifically with escape rooms in mind. Incorporating community-driven features, it's designed to follow the guest journey. From selecting times to book, waiver management, integrated point-of-sale system, and follow-up emails. Rizova is the ultimate online reservation software designed to elevate the guest experience, increase game master efficiency, drive sales, and improve operations. PG, what is fantastic about Rizova is that they offer something for the owners, something for the guests, and something for the GMs. What does Rizova offer the owners in our industry? As a business owner myself, I know that what I care about the most is increasing revenue and my bottom line. Rizova helps you do that because A, they don't have forced convenience fees. It's commission free. If you're doing really well and you have a ton of bookings, they're not going to charge you commission on any of those. I love having a integrated point of sales, which means I don't have to buy a bunch of different systems. Everything is already fully integrated. Plus, when the bookings, waivers and point of sales all talk to each other, that increases business efficiencies and it's just less problems for me to have to worry about. And they have an incredible integrations team who are ready to help make sure that your transition to Rizova is simple and smooth. To learn more, get a free demo and find out how easy Rizova can make your transition to their technology. Head over to Rizova.com slash REA and be sure to use our link or drop our name because as a thank you to Repod listeners, Rizova is offering up to $100 in Google AdWords when you sign up through our link. Details in the show notes. I will ask you a question. I hope this doesn't come across as it's coming from a place of ego. When Lisa and I came in 2018, we were absolutely in love with all of your games. Our one criticism of every single one of your games was... The ending. The endings. Yeah. And then we came back in 2019 and you had this brand new game, The End, that for me, I can't tell you the story, but I can tell you that it's all about endings and it has the most memorable ending to an escape room that I have ever experienced. Did we have any influence over that? Was that coincidence? No, you did. Definitely. I remember these exact words from your review of the end years ago. 
And that felt like a huge accomplishment because you have certain people that you like idols in life, David Copperfield, and I have some more. And you and Lisa are also people that I look up to and your opinion. That's very kind. But it's true. And so if people like that say something and it makes you think and you try to make it better, like with everything we do, how can we do it better next time? And that was like an eye opener. Yeah, you're right. Our endings, they suck. So it was not like, let's create a game all about endings, but it was an eye opener that our endings need to be, uh, you go out with a blast instead of just, oh, well, congratulations, you made it. So yeah, yeah, thank you for that. You're welcome. I mean, (laughs) for me, the criticism came from a place of if the endings that you had for your original games were the end at almost any other escape room company, I would have thought that they were pretty good. Everything that had happened in your games was so big and so bold that I wanted the escape challenge and then later the dark park. What's the dark park version of ending a game? Because I felt like you had figured out all of this stuff and then you were kind of doing a good standard exit to the games. That was the big feeling that Lisa and I had. And when we came back and played the end, it really blew us away. Endings are hard. It's like they are very hard. You haven't played Stay in the Dark yet. You have Peggy. I was gonna say, David, if you want an ending that will blow your socks off <laughs> and your shirt and your pants and your underwears, um, <laughs> you gotta go play Stay in the Dark. Last right. year, I worked up all of my bravery to play Stay in the Dark, and I almost—I really didn't want to. And Heist talked us into it because I was emailing them and they were like, no, 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 you have to come play. I think you opened it, especially because you were like, you have to come play this because I don't think you were running it on that day like normally. And so I was like, all right, you guys, we have to play this. They're going to all this effort (laughs) to make sure we play this game. And I am so glad I did. It was one of the most memorable, one of the most intense experiences of my life. Definitely one of the scariest. What made you decide to ramp up the intensity to such an extreme high level? It wasn't really a choice, but it's with everything that we built the past 10 years. If you would have told me before we started building that we would build all of this, I would have thought you were insane. And it's the same with Stay in the Dark. The things that we have there, thinking back to when we started, I can't imagine that I was bold enough to start building this game because it's, <laughs> there's, there are elements in there that when you think of it, the guy who came up with this, he must be insane. <laughs> I'm going to set the stage a little bit for our listeners and loyal listeners have heard me wax poetic about this game. It is a horror experience that takes place in like a four five-story abandoned chemical warehouse. It's huge. And we played with my friend, Brian. He's the creator of Miss Jezebel. And he has been in the haunt industry for a very long time. Haunt actor. He's very much into these horror experiences. He was scared. I never see him Mm, scared. (laughs) And he didn't know what we booked. He's one of those people that's just, who do I Venmo? Just tell me who to Venmo. And he just comes along for the ride. And so we're walking into the area where Stay in the Dark takes place. And I remember him looking into the buildings and he didn't know where we were going. And he goes, oh man, look at this creepy building. 
wouldn't it be incredible to run an experience out of one of these? Just looking at it is giving me the creeps. This would be the best. And I didn't say anything, but I had a suspicion that's where it was going to take place. <laughs> and soon enough, it all started. Yeah, it's an old factory, a plant, and uh, we have the entire building. So we were like, what are we going to do with this? You know what? Let's use the entire building. So you make a journey through 4,000 square meters of escape experience. It's like being in a horror movie because there is one thing to playing in a, a scary room and having it be dark, but there is another feeling when you have that scale because when you're in a dark hallway and it's, you know, dimly lit, but extending the hallway is extending down until it's swallowed in darkness at the far end and you you know you have to go down there. I don't know, it was an immense feeling. It was very intimidating. <laughs> I am curious to hear about the game that you opened last year for just a little while, Wasteland Rebellion. You ran it for a brief span of time before closing it. And if you don't mind me asking, what happened with this production? So a lot of things went wrong with this production. First of all, I got married that year. Congratulations. Thank you. And we had our fourth baby. So there was a lot going on that year. And because of that, I wasn't able to be a lot on the side where the game was built. So I didn't notice that it wasn't going the right way, the way I wanted it to be. And we had this huge building of Stay in the Dark that is only open on Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Because on a weekend day, we need 10 people to run the show. And so it always needs to be booked. Because if it's not fully booked, we are losing money on it. So it was a huge risk to say, okay, let's run Stay in the Dark on the weekdays. Let's not do that. Let's create a new game that we can run with less people in the same space. And that was also one of the mistakes that I made because people who had already played Stay in the Dark came playing this new game and they were like, yeah, but it's the same space. I already know the space. So I made many mistakes on this game. And until the end, I had the feeling that if I had more time, then I would have been able to fix it. But we also rented the building next to the Stay in the Dark building for this game. And that was going to be demolished in a few months. So I had to make the decision, okay, am I going to put more energy, more time, more money in this game that will probably only run for two more months? Or am I going to stop it? And I decided that it was important that when people buy a ticket for a Dark Park game, they, they know that they will get quality. And at that point... I wasn't able to give them the dark park quality that I want to give people. So that was one of the reasons that I decided to stop that game. It was hard and sad. Yeah, I bet. But that makes sense because I feel like if I had played Wasteland Rebellion and then you go back and play Stay in the Dark, it might dilute the experience because the scary part is being lost in the space. But if you've already played it the one time, it'll lose some of that impact. And we changed a lot of things. The lighting was completely different. So at times you really didn't recognize the space. There was a completely new music score. We opened spaces that are closed during Stay in the Dark and mm. the other way around. But it still, it wasn't enough. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to name the new game Rise of the Phoenix because Wasteland Rebellion is our first mistake in 10 years, I guess. The first game that really didn't go well. And Rise of Phoenix for me is also the rise of Dark Park from the ashes. It's impressive to me the way that you occasionally choose to name your games based off of the goal that you have in front of you. I don't know of anyone else who's done that. It's how a game starts. 
I'm not sure if anyone, when we announced the new game, thought, oh, whoa, it's really about Dark Park rising from the ashes. But that was my starting point. And then I created the game around it. As a small teaser, for Rise of the Phoenix, should we expect something that's more similar to the escape rooms you've created? Or is it more along the lines of Stay in the Dark? It's the size of our escape rooms. So it's uh, Stay in the Dark is huge and this is smaller but we are going to use actors again. When you say that there's an actor in the game, lots of people say, oh, then I don't want to play it because I'm scared. But there are a lot of games where there's an actor and he doesn't chase you and he doesn't scare you. So having an actor in a game is not always scary. I think you tend to do it pretty artfully. I hope so. I try to. In Rise of the Phoenix, however, (laughs) actors are going to be scary at times. But I also try to create a game with humor in it and also with emotion and it's really a journey with a lot of different emotions and feelings that's what i tried to create taking us back to the uh, lockdown days you started a tabletop escape game series what did you learn from that process first of all what i learned is that it's always better to do something in times of crisis than to just sit and feel sad because that was my first reaction. Actually, we were in Barcelona with some friends playing escape rooms with uh, Eric from Mama Bazooka and uh, Lucas from uh, Crime Runners and Thomas from uh, The Chamber in Prague. And I think Andrew Preble, right? Oh, of course, yes. How could I? uh, Yeah, and Andrew and Lucy. Thanks for Andrew. We didn't get lost all the time because (laughs) he knew where to go. We had no clue. Oh, man, what a fun group to play with. Such an amazing week. And sadly, we had to break it. We had to return home because the world ended because there all of a sudden was a pandemic. So we didn't get to play all games that we had planned for that week. I had one of the best weeks in a long time. And all of a sudden it ended and I was sitting at home in my chair and there was a pandemic and my company was like, maybe I would go like bankrupt. Nobody knew, of course. And I allowed myself to be sad for one day. And the very next day I got up out of bed and I said, okay, How can we make this a good thing? And that very same day, I launched a website announcing a new game, a home adventure that we could send you by mail, a dark park game. And people started buying the game. And they were like, wow, this company needs us. And we are a dark park fan and we're going to buy this game. But we didn't have a game yet. (laughs) (laughs) We only had announced it. So we had to create the game. So we gave ourselves like two or three weeks to create this first game, Conspiracy 19. And it was a nice game. It wasn't our best game, but considering that we created it in three weeks, I'm pretty proud of it. So that's the first lesson that I take from it, that it's always better to do something than to just be sad and do nothing. And when you do something, it's not always brilliant the first time. So it's okay to go back to that game. That's what we did. Also, maybe after your review from you and Lisa. You said it was a good game, but there were some things that could be better. So we went back to that game where we changed a lot of things and we came with a new version that was even better. And I plan to do a third version soon because now it's sold out. Oh, wow. Yeah. When Rise of the Phoenix is finished, I'm going to create a new version of Conspiracy 19. So it's always good to see how you can do better. (laughs) I also have to ask you, in your second tabletop game, Witchery spell. You have a real hot blonde woman in that. (laughs) I know. Where'd you find her? (laughs) Uh, Wow. How can I answer this one? (laughs) For those who are really confused right now, uh, Lisa made her acting debut in Witchery Spell. 
an email came into our inbox one day and I think it was like pretty early in the pandemic. We were doing a lot from home, but there was never enough to fill the time. She wrote you back and I think she said, I have never acted. I am a bad actress. She's not. I thought she could do it. So yeah, she got her lines. She and I were rehearsing them and then we figured out where to stage her and I had just been starting to dabble in lighting and sound because we were prepping to run recon virtually for the first time. So I just started messing around with all of that stuff and she recorded her stuff. I think she did a phenomenal job. She's the star of the game. It's really, <laughs> she did. So th there's this scene where there are four witches in a Zoom meeting on the screen of your computer. Two of them are employees here, mm -hmm. and one of them is a friend, and the fourth one is Lisa, and she did this amazing job. I was nervous about this because you put four people together that have never met each other, and three of them are in the Netherlands, and one of them is in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was this, what do you call it, time difference in, in the video, and they had to act together, and she did amazing. All of them did amazing, and it was so much I agree. fun. Yeah. I love the games. I played one of, I think maybe the newest one. And I was really impressed with the production value. Like you had pieces in there that I felt like in any other game, it would have just been pieces of paper, but you had like actual tangible items that, you know, like it did not need to be this product, but I, I appreciated the production value that you put into it. Thank you. I'm a huge fan of the Mysterious Package Company. And I was trying to create a game that had not that quality of production value because then it would be like $200 for a game, but that same feeling for an affordable price. So in our first game, Conspiracy 19, we had this one element that was created by a laser cutter. And then the games became such a success, we're still producing them. And we had enough money to buy our own laser cutter machine. So we now have rented an extra space where Tineke is her name. One of our um, team members is putting together all these games all day long and sending them all around the world. It's like 30,000 euros, really expensive machine. And it's creating all these elements all day long. And of course, we have Ilko, our designer, creating all the paper designs and stuff. The problem with escape rooms and also with home adventures is that you try to create a mini Disneyland, but you don't have the numbers of players that a Disneyland has, so you don't have the budget, which means you just have to work your ass off to make it work. Yeah. I'm getting gray by now, and um, I never <laughs> see my children. I forgot their names. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I work day and night, and more people in the team work day and night to create these games and to make the best possible games that we can at the moment, and we try to improve ourselves every time and that's how you create a game like this and then you die at early age i guess <laughs> <laughs> in a blaze of glory <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you've made some really cool stuff in the tabletop space and i have to be honest with you lisa and i were really nervous that witchery spell was going to be good because lisa didn't get paid anything for it. this was literally just a thing that she did for fun but we also we went out of our way we made sure we had a different writer we had sarah wilson review it yeah. And um, we were so overwhelmed by the quality of Witchery Spell when we played it. It was a very fun experience. Thank you, David. And you still haven't played Neverhouse, our newest game. We have not. I will send it to you. Thank you. During the pandemic, we had never created a game like this. So we were like, okay, where are we going to order all this stuff? 
we ordered these really ugly brown boxes because we wanted to be affordable. But now we know that people buy these games so we can buy larger numbers. And when you buy more of something, it gets cheaper. So in Neverhouse, we could afford to create a really beautiful box. I look forward to playing it. What comes next for you? At the moment, I'm trying to finish Rise of the Phoenix, which seems to never end. Maybe because we don't have an ending yet. (laughs) (laughs) But that's a lot of work. It's always more work than you think when you start. Everything that's worth doing is. (laughs) And this year is our 10-year anniversary, so I've promised our fans uh, some amazing stuff, and I want to create some more stuff this year. But I'm not sure if I can tell anything about that. But there's some really cool stuff coming, and we are building the Darkverse. So the Darkverse is this parallel universe in which all our Dark Park stories come together in this one dark first so we are going back to all our existing games and there are already a lot of hints in there that connect them but we are creating this meta story that really connects all the stories sounds like a fun plan yeah so when you do come back to the netherlands or everyone who comes play our games i'm afraid you have to come play honeymoon hotel again you have to come play freak show again you have to come play the orphanage again Oh no, I have to revisit these games that I loved so much. Oh no. (laughs) I'm sorry. I can't wait. So if people want to follow you on social media and see what you are up to, see what Dark Park is up to, where should they go? My wife is also an entrepreneur and she has this beautiful toy store with wooden toys and beautiful toys. And she's like amazing on Instagram. She's Instagramming all day long. And she keeps telling me that I should do the same. <laughs> and I've been doing this for quite a, a while on my personal Instagram. My name is Gijs Geer. So if you find me on Instagram, maybe I'll start doing that again. But she keeps telling me I should do that on the Dark Park Instagram. And I'm always like, no, because if I do it on the Dark Park Instagram, it needs to be perfect. And she's like, no, it doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to be done. Yeah, try to find Dark Park on Instagram and on Facebook. I recently removed my own personal Facebook account. So I cannot check how the Dark Park Facebook is doing. But when I need to make (laughs) a new announcement, I need to figure that out. We'll put the links in the show notes. Yeah. And also we'll put the link to your wife's toy store in the show notes. I'm curious to see that as well. It's a beautiful store and it's all about experience also. That's something I'm going to have to check out next time in the Netherlands also. I think you'll love it. And of course, our website, www.darkpark.com. Gijs, thank you for joining us. I have been looking forward to having you on this show since we started it. And I'm so glad that we finally made it happen. I'm so glad I could finally be a guest at your show. I think I've made clear that I'm a huge fan of uh, Room Escape artists. Likewise. And it's a dream to be on this show and to be part of this amazing community. Thanks. The Reality Escape Pod is produced by Lisa Spira. Music by Ryan Elder of RyanElderMusic.com. Edited by Steve Ewing of Stand Inside Media. And brought to you by RoomEscapeArtist.com. Your home for well-researched, rational, and reasonably humorous escape room and immersive gaming content and events. Our Patreon is the backbone. It is the foundation. It is the thing that allows us to put in all of the time, care, and money that we invest into creating 
podcasts like this and all of the daily content that Roomscape Artist creates. David and I have put a lot of work and thought into creating really awesome content for our Patreon supporters. Backing us at the $5 level gets you access to the Ria Discord. We have really fun conversations, discussions about escape rooms, immersive experiences, and more. And it also gets you access to our bonus show. This is a companion show to our main episode, and it's usually a more casual chat with our guests and each other. These episodes are pretty long. They're another 40 to 60 minutes. So if you can't get enough of our content, you can get more of it here. And we also tend to get a little bit looser here as well. If you have been enjoying this podcast, we would really appreciate a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It doesn't cost you anything, but it really helps us spread the word about Reality Escape Pod. Thank you to our highest level Patreon backers. Breakout Games, Derek Tam, Olivier Escape, Escapism, Escaparium, Panic Room, Byron Delmonico, Josh Rosenfeld, Paula Swan, Rex Miller, Scott Olson, and the Ministry of Peculiarities. Thank you all so much for your ongoing support. So Stay in the Dark is only open in weekends, but PG, when you came to the Netherlands, we really wanted you to experience the game. So we opened especially for you, and I was there personally, because normally I'm not there, uh, except when really amazing people come. And we had one of the most stressful hours of our life because there's this one point when you have to climb the stairs and there's something upstairs that you just need to find. It's hidden in plain sight. But one of your team members climbed the stairs and he came back and he said, nope, nothing there. <laughs> and then, Brian. Uh, yep. And, and no one bothered to check if he was right. No one ever climbed the stairs again. And it took 15, 20 minutes. And we were all sitting in front of the camera <laughs> in the control room, sweating and like, please, someone climb the stairs and find the damn thing because otherwise you will get stuck. And you went back into the huge building of 4,000 square meters and getting lost. And then I went inside and I yelled, Climb the stairs! <laughs> you always double check. Always double check. <laughs> so that was one of the most stressful moments in my career, but also one of the most fun memories that I had. So thank you. 